This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey y'all, welcome back to Eco Chic. My name is Laura Diaz. It's great to have you here today. Today's episode, we're talking about walkable cities. And I'm excited for this episode because it is pretty research-based. There's a lot of rabbit holes that you yourself can go on afterwards. And there will be so many links in the show notes for any of the little tidbits that we talk about today. So I feel like it should be fun from a listener's perspective because we're doing a high-level overview of walkable cities and then peering a little bit into the nooks and crannies. Now, a walkable city, just to define it, is kind of exactly what it sounds like. It is a city, a space that uses planning, design, and density to increase walking and minimize driving. Of course, the obvious climate benefit to this is that we have less cars on the road the more walkable a city is, And emissions will decrease, of course, as we are seeing more pedestrians as opposed to cars getting from place to place. We also know that transportation is the largest sector that contributes to greenhouse gas emissions. So more walkable cities or even increasing the amount of walkability in a city is a really big deal for a geographic area's impact on the climate crisis. I also feel like we should elaborate on the term walkable in a lot of the research that I've reviewed through Project Drawdown, through urban planning outlets. The word walkable is almost just a substitute for not dependent on cars. So when we talk about walkable cities, that is also a more bikeable city or a city that has more access to mass transit, public transit sources. In a walkable city, you're not necessarily literally walking everywhere you go, but you have more options than just simply getting in your car. Also, sometimes when we talk about walkable cities, we refer to these spaces or these neighborhoods as mixed use. And I want to talk about that for a second. Mixed use is actually a zoning term or a type of zoning for an area. Mixed use is some sort of development or a kind of urban planning style that quite literally mixes uses. So you have residential spaces, commercial spaces, cultural spaces, entertainment spaces, all in the same area. So this may look like, if you'd like to visualize it, is an apartment complex and the top floor facing the street is retail spaces or coffee shops. You may be able to see live music in your neighborhood every so often. Another good example of this is cities that have a First Friday art walk. This is really popular across the country. A neighborhood that can support an art walk is a really good example of a mixed-use space because you have arts as well as walkability as well as retail shops. And then a lot of the time, these events will have support from local bars or restaurants, and it's bringing people together 
without necessarily demanding that they use cars to get to all of these different places. So just to clear things up, mixed use is again, a zoning type, and there's a lot of overlap with mixed use spaces and walkable cities, but they are not necessarily the same thing. But I feel like if you're looking at them on a Venn diagram, the overlap is like pretty major. I personally went down this urban planning rabbit hole a couple of years ago, and I became really fascinated with the way that cities and spaces are built and designed. One of the books that helped me better understand city planning is by Jane Jacobs, The Death and Life of American Cities. And this is like a really classic urban planning book that's taught in schools. And it helped me understand the impact of sidewalks, of street lamps, of the way that homes are laid out or where a park physically is. So I would love to recommend that to anyone who's interested in just getting a baseline understanding of like urban planning 101. And then with this concept of walkable cities as a climate solution, I will be referring to Project Drawdown. I've talked about Drawdown in the past. It's a really cool nonprofit organization that does heavy research into climate solutions. They calculate the costs of implementing certain climate solutions and then what the subsequent carbon savings effectively would be to implement that solution. It's an organization that puts out a lot of research that does a lot of public education, and you can find all of their math and all of the analytics on drawdown.org. I'll be pulling from that today. I will also say that they do have a publication. The book is called Project Drawdown. I want to say that came out in 2016, and I feel like I used that while I was in school. And then in 2019, there was an updated version available online as a PDF. And I can link that in the show notes if you'd like to go in and look at some of these numbers for other climate solutions. But for now, let's focus on walkability and how Drawdown is defining walkability and what it means for infrastructure for a space to be truly supportive of what they're defining as increased urban mobility. So again, that is walkability, bikeability, availability of mass transit, Essentially, what does a neighborhood have to look like for there to be less dependency on cars? And the way that Drawdown defines it is these four bullet points, which I think are really good entryways and visuals for us to better understand walkable cities. First off, we have the density of homes, workplaces, and other spaces. So this is what we were thinking about mixed-use neighborhoods. How densely packed are our cities or our city centers? How many types of establishments can exist in a single area? Second off, we have wide, well-lit, tree-lined sidewalks and walkways. I think this is a really important one for us to think about because an area may be walkable, but it may not be a pleasant walking experience, which will certainly deter some people from taking that particular path or engaging in as much walkability as they may. And I feel like when I heard the concept of sidewalks needing to be tree-lined to increase walkability, I thought it was a little frivolous, but when I thought about it a little bit more, let's say that the nearest grocery store to me is only a 10 minute walk. But if that walk is under a highway and along an industrial area, the likelihood that I'm going to take that walk is significantly decreased than what it may be if that walk to the grocery store 10 minutes was through a park or through some sort of pleasant walking experience. The third bullet point, the third point of infrastructure for walkable cities per drawdown is safe and direct pedestrian crossings. I feel like this one is pretty clear. People will not be engaging in walkability if it is unsafe. I think that touches really nicely onto the previous point we made. What is that walking experience like for a pedestrian? 
The last point on infrastructure for a walkable city is connectivity with mass transit. So we touched on this a little bit earlier. It is at some extent unrealistic for us to believe that everything we will ever need will be within walking distance. But if I can walk pleasantly to some sort of subway system or busway and have access to a greater geographic location, that is supportive of a walkable city. Or more broadly, that is supportive of me not necessarily depending on my car every time I need to leave my neighborhood. I am not going to talk about the health benefits of walkable cities or the wellness benefits to walkable cities too in depth in this particular episode, but there is a lot of scholarly research around how walkability impacts an individual's health. In particular, there's a really famous study that ties weight, average weight of a geographic area with how walkable the city is. Quick disclaimer here that weight is not necessarily an only indicator of health. It's just the one that is most used as a proxy for health in a lot of these research cases. So I'll link some articles in the show notes if you'd like to look more in depth to the health benefits of walkable cities. But I'm going to stick on the climate topic today, and I want to talk a little bit about the carbon impact of walkable cities, or rather the carbon impact that you have if you are not living in a walkable city. Quick break to tell you about our fabulous sponsor today, Bite. Did you know you swallow 5 to 7% of toothpaste every single time you brush your teeth? That to me is absolutely nuts. That's an entire blob of toothpaste every seven days. And most commercial toothpastes are filled with harsh chemicals, artificial flavors, preservatives, not necessarily stuff that you want to be eating. Bite makes dry toothpaste tablets with clean ingredients that are sulfate-free, palm oil-free, and glycerin-free. Another thing I love about Bite Toothpaste is that they are so convenient. You just pop a bit into your mouth, you chew it up, you start brushing, it'll turn into paste, it'll foam a little bit, just like you're used to, but there's no plastic tube and there's no messiness all over your face. I used to be one of those girls. I am a grown woman with toothpaste all over my face when I'm using a conventional toothpaste. Switching over to Bite for a lot of my personal care products was kind of a no-brainer, again, because it can go plastic-free and it's easy to travel with and it just makes me feel better about what I am putting in and on my body. I mentioned there's no plastic tube to deal with and that's because Bite toothpaste bits come in refillable glass jars and they send refills in compostable pouches, so they're better for our earth and they're better for the planet. Again, no more plastic toothpaste tubes and no gross stuff in our toothpaste that we are inevitably eating all the time. Bite makes plastic-free alternatives to everything on your bathroom sink, from toothpaste to mouthwash to toothbrushes and deodorant. You can cut out all of the harsh chemicals and all the plastic waste without compromise. Bite is offering our listeners 20% off your first order. Go to trybite.com slash ecochic or use code ecochic at checkout to claim this deal. That's T-R-Y-B-I-T-E dot com slash ecochic. This episode is brought to you by sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm going to insert here a clip from a TED Talk by Jeff Speck. He is a city planner. He's the author of Walkable City, How Downtown Can Save America, which is a highly, highly recommended urban planning book. It was published in 2012, and this TED Talk is from nine or ten years ago, and he talks a little bit about the health benefits of cities like I just alluded to, but this particular case that I'd like to talk about is around carbon mapping. And then the American environmental movement has been a classically Arcadian movement. To become more environmental, we move into the country, we commune with nature, we build suburbs. But of course, we've seen what that does. The carbon mapping of America, where is the CO2 being emitted, for many years only hammered this argument in more strongly. If you look at any carbon map, because we map it per square mile, any carbon map of the US, it looks like a night sky satellite photo of the US, hottest in the cities, cooler in the suburbs, dark, peaceful in the countryside. Until some economists said, you know, is that the right way to measure CO2? There are only so many people in this country at any given time, and we can choose to live where perhaps we'd have a lighter impact. And they said, let's measure CO2 per household. And when they did that, the maps just flipped. Coolest in the center city, warmer in the suburbs, and red hot in these ex-urban drive to you qualify neighborhoods. So a fundamental shift, and now you have, a, you have environmentalists and economists like Ed Glazer saying, we are a destructive species. If you love nature, the best thing you can do is stay the heck away from it, move to a city, and the denser the better. And the more denser cities, like Manhattan, are the cities that perform the best. I really liked this piece from Jeff Speck's TED Talk. I'm going to go ahead and link a YouTube video to the TED Talk in the show notes. If you'd like to hear the whole talk, it was really good. But I will say that I like this piece about carbon mapping because to some extent it's intuitive. You understand that if you are walking less, you will be directly contributing to less greenhouse gas emissions than you would be if you were driving more. However, seeing it mapped out and understanding the importance of scale it's not just that you're driving less and you're walking more, it's that everyone in your neighborhood is driving less and walking more. That's really important to better understand the impact that individuals, that cities, that urban areas have on the larger climate crisis. Now I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about what makes people feel tied to a particular location. I'm going to refer to this as social sustainability. I did an episode just called What is Social Sustainability? It was only 17 minutes. And I feel like this is an episode that is very, very consistently downloaded and I get regular questions on. It was number 136. I'm going to link it in the show notes. But knowing that we are on episode 200 something now, you can tell it was a while ago and it still is extremely impactful. Again, only 17 minutes. But I want to talk for a second about what social sustainability is because I think it ties really nicely into this concept of what is a walkable city. At its core, social sustainability is really talking about the societal structures in an area that allow people to live healthy, happy lives. So a lot of these pillars are measured through concepts like equity, culture, if there's job opportunities in an area, how safe an area is, wages, 
All of these things that we understand to be indicators of a quote unquote good community or allow you to live quote unquote a good life. Social sustainability is also an interesting concept that does get studied by sociologists very often in tandem with election season, which is kind of a perfect conversation as we're approaching the midterms. But a big important reason that we measure social sustainability around elections is that people are invested in their communities and therefore they vote. Or rather, what happens when people are invested in their communities? They want to know who their mayors are. They want to know who their local representatives are. There is more indication that someone wants to stay in a place and see a place do well or succeed when they feel all of these concepts, again, of equity, of living wages, of diversity, of culture. And all of these measures of social sustainability are also really interesting ways to better understand community. So what makes people feel tied to a location is more broadly what makes people feel like they're part of a community. Walkability is a really great indicator that people have some semblance of community because it encourages you to meet your neighbors. You are walking outside, you're seeing similar faces day to day, you're better understanding who it is that you're living around, you all have similar lifestyles perhaps, Having a walkable city encourages you to really be a part of the social experience that is living in that city. Another really interesting measure of a walkable city being successful or people feeling very tied to a particular place, there is a high level of social sustainability, is public spaces. So this may be a park that is really well-loved. This may be a well-taken-care-of public transit area. All of the other measures of walkability just being successful. Public spaces not only encourage community among people, but it encourages you to feel tied to a physical place. And I want to insert here a clip from a TED Talk by Amanda Burden. She is a principal at Bloomberg, and she is or was the director of city planning for New York City, a very huge job. And admittedly, I have a little bit of a girl crush on her. She is absolutely brilliant. And this TED Talk in particular talks about public spaces and parks through the lens of New York City, what makes a New York City park very successful or usable, user-friendly, what allows people to feel some sense of community in a very densely packed environment. If there is any one lesson that I have learned in my life as a city planner, it is that public spaces have power. It's not just a number of people using them, it's an even greater number of people who feel better about their city just knowing that they are there. Public space can change how you live in a city, how you feel about a city, whether you choose one city over another. And public space is one of the most important reasons why you stay in a city. I believe that a successful city is like a fabulous party. People stay because they are having a great time. I think I'm going to close this out here today. I feel like that was a really positive statement to close out on. The value of walkable cities is not necessarily just the climate impact, but also that social impact. How do we make the planet happy? How do we make people happy? How do we feel genuinely tied and invested in a space? 
If you enjoyed this episode of Eco Chic, make sure you send it to a friend, send it in the family group chat, post it on your Instagram story. You can tag me at Eco Chic Podcast. All of my social links are always in the show notes where I will have so much information building off of the topics that we spoke about today. And you can find me on Instagram, on TikTok. You can email me if you want to get in touch. And I hope you have a really fabulous day. Also, if you've stuck around this long, just go ahead and make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you're listening right now. Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, wherever it may be. And while you're there, I know you're feeling generous today. Go ahead and leave me a review. It helps me out a lot. And uh, I look forward to hanging out with you next week. Thanks so, so much for being here. I love you. And I'll talk to you soon. Ciao. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.